listening to The Voice of Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. Before I introduce today's guest, a quick word. The Voice of Insurance has just gone through 20,000 downloads since launch. Thanks for listening. That's well over a year of listening time. Now, if you put a one-minute advert in every episode, you would have had 333 hours or just under eight days of talking to the market. So make sure you tell your marketing teams to get in touch. Now, today's guest is one of the gatekeepers to Lloyd's. Julian Tai is the CEO of Asta, the market's biggest and best-known turnkey managing agency. Turnkeys are firms that incubate fledgling Lloyd's businesses, helping them learn the ropes before they stand in their own right. Because of that, anyone looking to enter the Lloyd's market is very likely to have met with him or people in, from his organisation before taking their ideas any further. That means he gets an unparalleled view of what ventures are vying to become part of Lloyd's future, as well as some of the ideas out there that might not make the cut. That in turn means that he's someone you really must get to know if you want to have your finger on the pulse of what is going on in Lloyd's. Julian is excellent company, and in this discussion we look at the Lloyd's pipeline of new entrants and the Syndicate in a Box concept, which Asta has just got involved in with the launch of Carbon Underwriting's Syndicate 4747. And we also discuss the likelihood of Lloyd's getting a bigger share of the upcoming class of 2020-2021 new carrier formations than it did in 2001 and 2005. We discuss Lloyd's reforms, its reputation under COVID-19 and staff morale and management during a pandemic. It's a really good discussion that I can highly recommend. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. Julian, how's Lloyd's pipeline of new syndicates looking at the moment? Is it, is it healthy? Mark, yes, it is. It's, it's very healthy, in fact. Certainly across the, the range of solutions that Asta offer, we're seeing, and park our MGA business briefly and stick to Lloyd's, a lot of, lot of opportunities, a lot of conversations. Those interested with syndicate in a box business plans, those with the more complex traditional type syndicates, still SBAs are interesting. In fact, captives are now coming onto the, onto the radar somewhat. But, but across the entire range of solutions, it is um, very active, very healthy. And a number of reasons for that, I think, Mark, and two, two of which that are, are certainly consistent themes. The first being that Lloyd's is more obviously open for business in the last year than it has been for several years before that. And also, I think capital providers are convinced by the future at Lloyd's and the, the initiatives that John Neal and the team have taken there. They do believe that Lloyd's is going to modernize and make a, a more efficient market for them and the rest of us to trade in. So, so it is healthy and, and long may it last. Oh, we're in the beginnings of, of, a, of a hard or much harder market. Is it market driven, any of it? I think some of it is, and then it probably explains a bit of a swell at the moment. But I think you can make a case for, for Lloyd's at any point in the, in the market cycle. It's the Lloyd's platform that's the real prize for most people. And you can make a case in a hard or soft market for that. Yeah, definitely a bit of a swell. You've just launched one of the first syndicates in a box, or perhaps the first one that people would describe as what the syndicate box is intended to be you know, a new entrant into Lloyd's, a small new entrant. Do you think the Syndicate in a Box initiative is going to become the preferred new entry method? 
at Lloyd's from now on? I don't know if I'd, I'd use the word preferred, Mark, insofar as I think there will there will always be a case, a requirement for more traditional, complex syndicates, as well as syndicate in the box. And I, I would think of them as, as two different client types, in, in fact. If you think about um, a syndicate in the box, the, the, the framework was developed to satisfy a need, and that, that need was a what we call an execution gap. For businesses that are, are smaller, they're, they're more nimble, they're simpler typically, perhaps capital providers are using them as, as a way to test an initiative, to test some innovation. So by their nature, they, they will be different. Um, whereas other businesses, and we're, we're, to, we're actively engaged with some at the moment, are much, much bigger and much more complicated business plans. And so consequently, that they won't fit the city in the box criteria. I'm sure you're right, it'll be a preferred route for, for, for many clients uh, in that the, the specific criteria that Lloyd's is looking for and Astor are looking for is that the syndicate of the box business ought to be short tail for a start. It ought not to be cat exposed or certainly not, not significantly cat exposed. It should be capable of running a, a three-year plan without varying from that very much so we can keep that simple. We can, we can set capital at the outset and maintain that. And it shouldn't be too big. The guidelines would say that it ought to be less than 100 million, sorry, 100 million pounds of gross written premium at the outset. And they must meet Lloyd's KPIs, the, the two most important of which are that after the third year, the expense ratio must be below 35% and the combined ratio must be below um, 100%. Like any other syndicate, the syndicate in the box must demonstrate that, it, that it's accretive to Lloyd's. But in the case of a syndicate in the box, particularly the innovation, there might be something tech savvy or, or something innovative about that business that makes it accretive in itself. You mentioned about cost. How cheaply can you run a syndicate in a box? And what do you think the smallest viable size in GWP would be? In GWT, Mark, the smallest, the smallest viable size, we, we've done a lot of work on this throughout the last year. And so we, we believe it's between 15 and 20 million pounds GWP. And within that 5 million range, that, that really depends on the complexity of the plan, perhaps the complexity of the classes of business particularly, but it could be you know, spread over a number of geographies that introduces some complexity or, or, or the tech requirements it can be a positive or negative. But nonetheless, within that 15 to 20, 20 million band, what we have done is, and asked we've developed a distinct platform for, for sending it to the boxes that absolutely meet all the regulatory requirements, all the standards, but nonetheless, it, it still represents a significant saving versus a traditional complex syndicate. So, so there is a cost-effective value-for-money solution out there. I would say we can do it for 25% or less than, than, than your average typical startup. And some of the reasons for that, when, when you think about it, are probably a little easier to understand why we can do it in such a cost-effective manner. Firstly, a syndicate in the box won't have a room presence at Lloyd's if indeed any of us ever do again. But the whole point is that they're not wholesale market businesses uh, and they oughtn't have a presence in, in Lloyd's. But importantly, in terms of operating the businesses, the capital and business plan are far simpler. So the business planning process would be simpler because it should be a three-year plan. And if, as long as you're not varying from that very much, then, then you sh it should be quite a light touch from Lloyd's. But also capital is set at the outset by Lloyd's for the three years. So that means Ast is not having to build capital models and constantly rerunning capital models and you know, actuarial resources not, not particularly cheap and those processes are not particularly straightforward. And to a smaller extent, 
there has been some reduction in the, the reporting requirements from Lloyds. I'd like to see more, but of course I always would say that. But, but nonetheless, there has been some. So, so there's a fair bit of high-cost activity that won't be required. Consequently, we were able to develop this model. When the Syndicate in the Box rules came out, some of the criticism that people made was of the requirement for a small business to have to have a plan or a pre-paid or pre-planned runoff in case the thing doesn't work out. How do we get around that? And how have you managed to get around that with the business that you've launched? It's a good question, Mark. And, and I know a number of people were concerned about that particular point uh, initially, as we were, and they clearly examined it fairly carefully. It doesn't have to be quite such a big problem and, and probably just need, need to uh, put it in context a little bit because most of the syndicate in the boxes will be restricted to the first term and that's typically a three-year term from Lloyd. So your maximum legacy is, is a three-year legacy. Also, they, they will be short-held, writing short-held business in nature, so, so there won't be a lengthy underwriting runoff there. So the capital required won't necessarily be very significant, it'll be proportionate to the small and, and simple syndicate in the box, which is no different to any other syndicate. And it's no different insofar as the capital providers are, are made aware of their responsibilities from the outset. And so whether that will require a little bit of extra capital to run off a business, or whether it will require the capital provider to find an alternative solution. And there might well be alternative solutions that there wouldn't be for a very big complex syndicate. And that might be, for example, if the genesis of the business had been an MGA, for example, there might be a way to, to reverse that business back into an MGA structure. There might be new capital providers prepared to support that MGA that could have some sort of renewal rights deal on the business and mitigate the runoff costs. Or it really depends on, the, on, on what it is that causes something in the box to fail. And, and just to be clear, Lloyd's does expect a failure rate, else we're probably not being ambitious enough in, in the businesses that we're bringing to a syndicate in the box. If they're failing to hit certain KPIs or just don't grow quickly enough, doesn't mean they're necessarily fundamentally bad businesses. And in those situations, then of course, the capital providers could, could find solutions, perhaps merging with another syndicate in the box or for it to become a line of business in a complex syndicate. So runoff is not the only issue, but, but if it is, then the capital providers will help find a solution. So it's not, not as big a problem as we thought it was. And I suppose because by the nature of the thing, they're small anyway, so the problem is not huge. Exactly, exactly. Something else that's been happening in the last few months was an announcement of Lloyd's having another look at potentially allowing captives to form other which is interesting when we're talking about syndicates in a box and captives of small insurance structures. Do you welcome that? Is that something that you're, you're interested in at Asta? Uh, yes, Mark. Uh, captives are, are something that's very much on, on Asta's radar. Internally, we think of it as a niche we wanted to scratch for a little while. And that's because um, you know, for, for a while there, there were barriers such as structures you, you, you could employ in the UK, and the tax advantages offshore. But there is certainly a willingness at government level to do something about that. We've seen that in the ILS market. So we've become more and more interested and been sort of doing our homework over the, the last several months. And coincidentally, and perhaps happily for us, Lloyds are also interested in doing their own research right now. But we have thought for some while that captives would sit very well at Lloyds. I think the Syndicate in the Box initiative has been a further catalyst to that thinking, because as you say, the, you know, they're typically smaller in nature. And we've kind of proven now with the launch of Carbon Syndicate 4747, we know we can do it. We know we can do it in a cost-effective way. So, of course, we can perhaps scratch that itch now and service the captive market. 
And so what's attractive for the captive, I presume, is, is Lloyd's global licensing and the rating. Absolutely. Yeah, Lloyd's been massively important. And, and for a number of captives, not having to be offshore, if, if we can ensure that we crack those nuts, that the, you know, the, the tax and regulatory equivalents, as has happened in the ILS world, then absolutely, yeah. I haven't really had time to ask you about the Lloyd's blueprint, which is now, you know, more than six months in. Which parts of it are you, obviously, Syndicate in a Box is part of that. Which other parts of it have most captured your imagination? And which parts would you, you know, really like them to run with and accelerate, perhaps? Lloyd's have done a pretty good job in prioritising three initiatives, uh, more than the others, being the claims process improvements. And I think particularly with the potential reputation damage to the industry right now, its response to, to some of the COVID claims, I think that's even more important than it already was to be able to have uh, an approved claims process, customer experience. Also prioritising the complex risk platform. The emphasis there, of course, being on electronic trading. And if some of the market needed persuading, I think the pandemic has certainly, certainly been that persuader that we can, in fact, trade electronically. And the third one being the digital platform solution. But the one I would like to have seen accelerate is really the capital solutions work stream. We all know that bringing new capital to market over the last two or three years has been particularly difficult. And so there's definitely a need there. So once the capital solution work stream accelerates and, and addresses that, would hope it can achieve its objectives of facilitating new forms of capital and making it easy for those new forms as well as existing for the capital to trade and access risk far more efficiently than we currently do. We're in a hard market now. I think it's very clear we've just had the Florida renewals in, proper increases across the board there for everybody. Um, A little bit of differentiation, but definitely everyone paid more. Do you think a hard market is going to cause the London market to lose focus on those reforms? I really hope not, Mark. Uh, I think there has been quite a bit of momentum and a, a lot has happened already. Uh, I think it'd be a great shame if, if that were to happen, but, but I don't think it will. I think the enforced working remotely has proven to us all that we can work differently. Many of us wouldn't believe that a few months ago, but we're living it and it is working. It is working effectively. So I think it's a moment for leadership to be strong and to drive through those changes to continue that momentum and rather ensure that the reforms are achieved. But I wouldn't say it might be a time. It might just be a moment where we can detach the association of the, the costs the market with, with a hard market that if we if we do ensure that the reforms happen and, and the process efficiency is enabled then we wouldn't have to rely on a hard market and the extra underwriting margin to in the past mask the expense problem we have we should be doing it anyway i had dennis mahoney on an episode recently of the podcast saying that uh, he thought the covid 19 was going to spawn a class of 2021 do you think there's going to be a class of 2021 and then and then secondary to that if there is a class of 2021, do you think Lloyd's is going to get a good showing of it? Whereas, let's say, the class of 2001, 2005 was pretty much a Bermuda thing. Mark, I think, I think almost certainly there will be a class of 2020, That seems fairly inevitable at this stage. As regards Lloyd's getting a, a fair showing of it, I think it ought to. And it'll depend on two things, really. One, the speed in which Lloyd's can react to it. And I know Lloyd is, is very conscious of how it lost out to Bermuda in the class of 2001, 2005. We'll be on to that. But the second thing is Lloyd's will need to be careful in how it reacts, really. Because I think at the moment, if you were to go to Lloyd's with a business plan that was considered to be a, a Me Too plan, you wouldn't get much of a hearing right now. And I think by the nature of the class of 2000 and 2021, 
is likely to be is a lot more of the same, a far better rate being achieved, for example, good quality business or marginal business that has become good quality business. So the Lloyds will probably just need to ensure the messaging is right, that, that people will bring that business to Lloyds, regardless of the fact that it's more of the kind of business that, that is uh, currently being transacted at Lloyds. Do you think Lloyds would have to have had some kind of capital depletion in order for that to happen? No, I don't think so. I think Lloyds just needs to make sure that the messaging is correct to, uh, to new business, that it is ready, it is willing, it can accept new business rather than give the impression that if it's not completely new, new business to Lloyds, that it wouldn't be acceptable. I think for better priced business, better quality business will, will, of course, be attractive and be creative in itself. Other new things that have been happening. We've recently had an announcement of an automatic follow underwriting syndicate. That's Brit's key initiative. Does that interest you? Is it, do you have plans for similar sorts of ventures uh, within Astor's pipeline? Yes, it, do, it does interest us. I think it's a, it's a fabulous initiative and I, I think it'd be great to see more of those initiatives in the market and, and hopefully it will prove that we, we can transact business in a much more cost-efficient way. It might well be a pathfinder that we all learn lots from, um, so existing business as well as future businesses at Lloyd's. Specifically regarding ASTA, we're having a number of conversations that could be broadly considered to be lead-follow type business. But I wouldn't say we're in a position to launch anything imminently. There are a number out there, but not something we're going to come to market in the next few weeks with. But it's very, very interesting. Well, Julian, you're a manager of carriers. We've had a lot of broker consolidation happening at the top end of the broker chain with MMC, JLT, and now we've got the Aon Willis M&A consolidation now announced. Is that worrying for you as a manager of a carrier or of carriers? Not a worry, Mark, particularly, no. It is very interesting. It's very interesting. We take an active interest, of course. In, in principle, we prefer to see more competition in the market. We think that's healthy. But I don't think the current consolidation activity has particularly stifled that. If we look, at, look around the market a little bit, some businesses are actually thriving as a, as a consequence of some of the displacement caused by the M&A. For example, McGillan Partners, that's a business that seems to be thriving and gaining more market share by the day. And Good luck to them. But also one global, I think last week was SL, SSL Endeavour. That's another business that appears to be taking advantage of some of the, uh, some of the effects of the, of the M&A. That's a business that looks to have some, some, some real good growth ambition. So not a worry in that sense, no. So that you just think the independents will come and take the slack and, and uh, sort of feed on the crumbs and take the talent that doesn't want to work for a really mega corporation? May not have expressed it like that, but yes, take take advantage, certainly. Take advantage, yeah. Excellent. Okay. You mentioned about the PR side of the COVID-19 crisis, you know, reputational side of it. Do you think Lloyd's has used COVID-19 as a differentiating point to show its superior willingness to pay? I think it has, to be fair, Mark, yeah. But I suppose, to for me, the perspective is it hasn't taken a pandemic for Lloyds to do that. I think Lloyds has always been the leader in that for hundreds of years now. And I think Lloyds has always been very willing to pay valid claims and continues to do so and behave no differently in, the, in this crisis as, as, as they always do. We always hark back to the, you know, the days of Cuthbert Heath where there's sort of grand decrees issued. Do you, do you think we're missing those things or, or are we just being nostalgic for, for, for a past that never really actually happened? <laughs> um, no, I don't think it's just nostalgia. I, I, I think to the extent that it's been fair to do so, I think Lloyd's has actually done a lot to um, pull the claims community together to give 
customers consistent and fair answers. And I think it has been pretty well organized, to be honest. It might have been quicker off the mark if you really want to find fault. But I think, you know, come back to, to the question in terms of differentiating, I think it has reacted far more quickly and cohesively than the rest of the industry. Not perfect by any means, but pretty good. Fairly recently, Lloyd's did the release its first uh, market-wide loss estimate for the pandemic. Does that a number that re- chimes with you and that makes sense to you? It does, certainly in, in, in the context of some of the, you know, the comparative losses uh, historically that we've looked at. And it's as good as any estimate at this stage. Certainly, um, there was a very rigorous process behind those loss estimates. So I do, I do think it's, it's pretty good, pretty robust. Uh, certainly as good as it can be. But we almost recognise, of course, it is just that. It is an estimate. Uh, and it is still pretty early, but certainly as good as it can be, yeah. Obviously, we're talking about reputation. Different firms have reacted in different ways to, to different things. We've seen dividends cut at carriers, partly under regulatory pressure, fair enough. We've also seen some pay cuts for staff. Do you think cutting pay for insurance staff is the right response to the COVID-19 crisis? I don't, actually, Mark, no. If I'm honest, I don't quite understand the dynamics for some of the businesses that have, have felt that way. For me, what I'm seeing across the industry is... Is it's a pretty vibrant right now. It's, it's pretty buoyant. It's active. We're heading into a hard market. So, so it, it strikes me as counterintuitive to, to be cutting salaries at this age. I'd, I'd be afraid, frankly, of, of taking the risk that I would disenfranchise staff at, at the very time where you need them to be motivated. So, parochially, you know, at Asta, we're, we're far more focused on staff well-being than we are in the paychecks. And maybe it's just easy for me to say, maybe being a service business, it, it, it's it's much easier for us to be able to align the interests of staff and shareholders and clients than it is for other businesses. But I just don't see the logic in it at this stage. I want to ask you about pandemic risk itself. We've had a lot of debate about whether it's how insurable it is in private insurance markets or whether it's a, do you think we need a public-private solution for this? I think we do. I mean, I'm not even sure if a public-private solution can cover something like this ultimately or, or foresee everything. But Certainly, I don't see it as an industry-only solution. At the end of the day, there's a finite amount of capital that can be deployed within the industry at any one time. Julian, I think I've come to the end of all the questions I was going to ask. Is there anything else we should have discussed that now that we've started talking that you'd like to have spoken more about or we should ask you about? I don't think so, Mark. No, it's been really good to catch up with you. Great. Well, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. You're a very busy man, Julian. So thank you very, very much. And we hope to have you on the programme again soon. Thank you, Mark. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>